Welcome to the Found Forum, where we bring you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. I'm Ed Fallon. I'm your host, and we're coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. And if you value what we do, we could sure use your support. You can visit the uh, donations page at FallonForum.com. Uh, consider making a donation. Or if you run a small business or are with a nonprofit doing good work, only good work, also consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dining, carryout, and delivery service seven days a week. Gateway also has excellent catering and floral services. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all manners of creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, so also thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for our bumper music. Excited to have that as part of our new lineup. You know, later in the program, uh, Dr. Charles Goldman's going to join you. We're going to be discussing the conflicting rulings on abortion and what happens if the U.S. Supreme Court institutes some kind of a complete federal ban nationwide, taking away states' rights completely. Charles and I will also be discussing Bitcoin mining and the environmental costs of that. And for our farm and food segment, Kathy Burns and I will be talking Believe it or not, about baseball. Yep, apparently Red Sox fans at Fenway Park are in an uproar over sugar-free ketchup now being served with the ballpark's overpriced hot dogs. This is kind of the, the new Boston uprising, I guess. But first, I would like to welcome to the program Representative Josh Turek. Uh, Josh, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So tell us where you represent. What's your constituency? Uh, my district is Council Bluffs. It's where I was born and raised, and also Carter Lake. And that's uh, the very west, for those of you who may not be in Iowa, it's the very western part of the state, right close to Omaha. That's correct. And so what inspired you to run? Why did you get involved with this? What's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. I ask myself that many days as a month there at the Capitol. Uh, Well, my my background is I'm a a former professional wheelchair basketball player. I've spent a majority of my adult life living abroad. I've played in Italy. I've played in France. I've played in Spain. Australia, played basketball on every continent on the earth besides Antarctica, represented the United uh, States in four Paralympic Games, won two gold medals um, in, in Rio and in Tokyo. And I, I knew that my basketball career was going to come to an end. I'd always had some level of uh, interest in politics, but it was on the periphery. And, uh, but what happened is I, I knew that my basketball career was coming to an end, wanted to be as prepared as I possibly could, finished my master's degree, and then I ended up getting ATP mm-hmm. certified, which is assisted technology professional. Uh, I wanted to be able to give back, have some level of intimate familiarity um, for the disabled population because I kept seeing particularly uh, children poorly assessed for mobility devices. Mm. And so for two years, I was working for a company called New Motion, and I was assessing and providing wheelchairs, power wheelchairs. And it was during this that I was just noting the egregious levels uh, of denial rates that was taking place from the Mm. managed care organizations. Come to find out, doing a little bit of research, that the denial rate had raised over a 1,000% for mobility devices. just absolutely decimated the disabled population, especially I was working with a doctor uh, that was working with uh, muscular dystrophy and ALS. These are patients that don't have time for there to be a denial rate involved in the process. And, and, you know, I mean, this is an important issue nationwide, of course, but Iowa, uh, under the leadership of our former U.S. Senator Tom Harkin, we were, Harkin was instrumental in helping to pass some of the ADA 
legislation that has primary made, sponsor of the yeah bill. Who, who has made it much uh, made for some real st- significant improvements That's for correct. the disabled community. That is correct. So you won a fairly tight election, if I understand correctly. I did. That is, that is correct. I I ended up winning by what was uh, nine votes. Initially, I outperformed the top of the ticket by 15 points to be able to win. <laughs> wow. uh, I say that uh, Western Iowa, and particularly Council Bluffs, we are no longer even a purple district. We are a red district. And myself and J.D. Shulton, we are uh, the entire Western Iowa caucus Right, now. and you're basketball and he's baseball. So maybe it takes a, a sports background to get elected as a Democrat in Western Iowa? I, I'm not sure if that's the, the, the key to success, but I can tell you that the hard work and the discipline and the dedication that allows you to achieve success in, in sports certainly sure. uh, allows you to, to be more successful in this area. And I think more than anything, it allows you to tune out all the noise and just focus on what you truly believe in, which, which I, I, I've said over and over that the very best preparation for this was being involved in Olympic level sports. So let me ask you about, uh, about one piece of legislation that, that, that was recently um, voted on here in Iowa and has received attention nationally because other legislatures are dealing with this, and that's SNAP benefits. It used to be called food stamps, and you spoke out, I think, pretty powerfully against this bill that passed the House on mostly, a not, not entirely, but a, a, mostly a partisan vote, Nearly. Republicans supporting it, Democrats opposing it. I think we have and five. It, five, okay, and five Republicans who voted with you? Correct. And again, it's, it puts some really serious restrictions. I mean, it's it's going to kick a whole bunch of people off of SNAP benefits and a, a bunch of people off of Medicaid. That is correct. And you don't like it. I Well, the bill makes no sense, first and foremost. Uh, if, if the primary purpose is, is, is any sort of benefit to economics, to the state of Iowa, it, it's the worst bill that we've ever run. Uh, we're going to lose $5.4 million. For those of you that aren't familiar, the food that is paid for from SNAP is 100% federally funded. Yep, right. So there is no benefit at all to the Iowa taxpayer from this. All of that money that goes, it is all spent in your local grocery stores. That money then doubles down in its effect. I think each dollar that's spent, it ends up generating about $1.75. So there's no benefit at all to that. Uh, secondly, it's just morally reprehensible. So what is the motivation of the Republicans who want to take away these benefits? What, what could possibly be driving them to do this? They are, are running it under the guise that they, they need to take care of the fraud. That, that's the first position, which that, is, that, that, that argument is just erroneous. Um, the, the numbers are that of the more than 300,000 individuals that are on SNAP, uh, we ended up having four that were convicted of fraud. Four. And so basically what that number is, is one thousandth of one percent is the fraud rate. And by any metric, it's less than one percent. Do they deny that or do they they have different numbers that they propose? They don't deny it. Uh, They they, they, they didn't even attempt to come back. They think that level of fraud is enough to justify these actions. The the second is I I think that just there's an there's an ideology within the conservative Republican base of. The workforce issues that are happening is because we don't we got too many people that are on the system and taking advantage of the system, using it that aren't working. We need to get everybody pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But that's why I thought it was so important for me to begin the the debate with asking Representative Fry, can you tell me how many households right. contain children? I, I saw that clip and that was pretty that was that was a good line of questioning. Let me switch gears. An issue that you voted with a majority of the Republicans on. Uh, raw milk. That's correct. Uh, and honestly, if I had been a state legislator, I would have been with you as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I noticed also that J.D. Scholten was on the same page as you. So what's, um, 
What what are the Democrats' objections to allowing people to access raw milk if they choose to do so? Well, I can't speak for anybody against, right. you know, I can only say what I believe. My my assumption would be, just from hearing the debate on the floor, is that they're worried uh, about the health risks to children who ultimately can't make decisions. For me, I'm a bit of a libertarian when it comes to the individual, and I can't, I, I can't sit here and say that I'm I'm for the legalization of marijuana, for example, and then say that individuals shouldn't have the right to choose to drink milk. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think that's a little bit hypocritical and disingenuous, and so it, that's why I was on in that. Terms of, uh, in terms of children's health, I'd be more concerned about junk food I am than, too. than the really minimal risk of uh, some problem in, in milk. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, anyway, I... I uh, we we would agree with the Republicans on that one, Josh. You and I both. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I look. I, I I think that anyone that has paid attention to my voting record would see that I've I've been about as bipartisan as any any Democrat thus far this year. Now another another issue that's coming up, not just in Iowa but all over the country, is guns. And we've already had 145 mass shootings this year. Um, gun deaths now exceed car accidents in terms of being the number one cause of death among kids under age 18. And yet Republicans are, expo- are proposing expansion of the capacity to own and carry guns. Uh, and also in Iowa, I don't know whether this is happening around the country, I presume it might be, but the, uh, there's a proposal to use the NRA's Eddie Eagle program. It's a cartoon about gun safety. They want to use that in our schools, again, focused on gun safety. Uh, is that a bad idea to use the NRA's gun safety program in the schools? Well, I can't speak to things I don't have an intimate familiarity with. And so um, I, I would imagine that there's no value in that just off its face. But I can tell you specifically about the bill that we ran because okay. that I do have familiarity with. All right. And um, I voted against that. I spoke on the floor. What, what my, was that bill again? The, the bill was to allow there to be guns that are covered or oh, yeah. locked on school property. Mm-hmm. My position was, I said, I don't have any issue with the Second Amendment. I don't have any issue with responsible gun ownership. But the fact of the matter is, as you alluded to, we've had 145 mass shootings. That is a shooting of more than four people. That is more mass shootings than we've had days. We've had 75 people, that either children or adults, that have been killed on school property this year alone, 2023. And also the number one killer now of children and adolescents in this country is firearm-related injury. Mm -hmm. I do not believe that in this time, when the number one killer of children is firearms, that we should be allowing more access to firearms on school property. To me, that just seems insane. I see no value in it. And I I think the majority of Iowans agree with us on that. Another issue, uh, eminent domain, a really important issue in the upper Midwest right now is is, uh, landowners try to oppose the, uh, I think a majority are opposed to using eminent domain to build uh, carbon dioxide pipelines. In fact, 78% of Iowans polled are against these. And uh, you voted uh, in favor of a bill that would have required a 90% threshold uh, before eminent domain could be used. Uh, And yet um, a majority of the no votes, and there were only 20 no votes, but a majority of those no votes were Democrats, uh, including my my guest last week, uh, Chuck Eisenhower. And I'm glad that he was able to come on the show and and despite dis- dispute that with me, even though we disagree. But what's your take on that bill and what should happen next? I know the Senate is not moving it forward, but nothing's dead until the last gavel falls at the end of session. That is correct. And as you know, I, I, I voted for that bill. I just fundamentally do not believe that we should be using eminent domain for corporate interests uh, specifically. Um, and, and, and that would be my position on it. Yeah. Now, um, there's been quite a debate about this because um, uh, 
a lot of people, including myself, have felt that Democrats missed a key opportunity uh, to advance their political success by not jumping on this bandwagon early. Because Republicans have been kind of wishy-washy on it. Um, there have been some really strong advocates for not using eminent domain to build these pipelines. Uh, and then you have people like Governor Branstad, former Governor Branstad, Governor Reynolds, um, key fundraisers like Bruce Rastetter, who are just grueling to get these pipelines built and don't mind taking farmland to do that. It just seems like, well, why, why, why were Democrats not jumping on board to make this a big issue? I don't know, but I agree with you completely. I, I think that something that we should have been messaging on is, uh, because again, the number 78% of Iowans are on our side. I think that we should be banging the drum and singing it from the rooftops of, if you voted for Kim Reynolds, you voted for the pipelines. And yeah. I, I think we, we missed our opportunity. And I think there are times where we aren't concise enough with our messaging. Because, because on a lot of these big, big issues, education, health care, minimum wage, Iowans are with us. So that's what we should be running our messaging yeah. on. Yeah, no, most Iowans don't, uh, don't approve of a lot of the changes that have come through the state legislature this year. That is correct. And it seems to be very hypocritical. Republicans talk about liking local control and liking freedom and yet legislate against both on a regular basis. That would seem to be enough to cause some consternation among their base. But if, if the Democrats aren't providing a solid opportunity in contrast, then maybe that's not going to get uh, get much mileage for the party. Again, I, I think for us as a party and as a state, we, we have to focus the messaging on the issues that we know the Iowans are with us and not on these issues that yeah. honestly are not relevant to people's day in and day out right. lives. And we have to take advantage of the opportunities that we do have. For example, that's one of the main reasons why I spoke out against SNAP. I don't need any sort of national attention. I don't need anybody to know my name. I've already won gold medals. I got enough fame in my in my <laughs> local hometown. But what really is important is that we hold these individuals accountable for what they're doing in making sure that the public knows through the media of exactly who's being affected by these bills and what these bills are doing. Yeah. Let me, I want to share uh, something that was written to me uh, last week. Um, a, a, a fellow who worked at the legislature a long time and on Democratic campaigns, he said, the eminent domain issue was handed to Democrats on a silver platter. Legislative leaders should have met with the unions and offered them a clear choice. We organize around this issue and start picking up seats, or we continue to have a two-to-one Republican major margin at the state house. But Democrats blew it. This, kind, this is the kind of issue that helped Democrats gain and hold the majority during the farm crisis of the 1980s. And I don't know how far back your, your memory goes in terms of Iowa history, but there used to be a lot of Democrats in rural Iowa. And they made a lot of, a lot of hay over the, um, over the uh, farm crisis and the lack of any interest by the Republicans in addressing it. You are absolutely correct. And if we were ever going to send this state back blue, we are going to have to find a way to reconnect with rural Iowans. And this was, was an opportunity, and I said as much in our caucus, um, the great divide now in, in national politics is, between red and blue is urban versus rural. All the urban areas, regardless of state, are blue. All of the rural areas, regardless of state, are red. If we are going, Iowa is a rural state. If we are going to send Iowa back blue and we are going to have another Tom Harkin or we are going to have another Vilsack, if we are going to get back in the majority, 
part of that discussion has to be unquestionably how do we reconnect with rural voters and on these issues like eminent domain is where we do it is it too late for the democratic party the leadership of the party to take your advice and the advice of this former staffer and democratic operative to make the eminent domain issue and these pipeline issues is to make that to make that key between now and the next election. No, and it's never too late. The most important thing that people realize is that we've got 15 of these seats. We're at 36, 15 seats that the difference between going red and going blue is only 1,500 votes total. It's not too late. What we need is we need more people to vote, more people to get involved, more people to register. That's what's going to make a difference. Sending us voicemails and contact us is great. We can kill some of these bills, and we did it. We had the one bill that we killed out of um, uh, environmental protection, but what matters is more people getting engaged in voting. Like, for example, in my district, 12% turnout from 18 to 25-year-olds. That is not going to win us elections. Beyond this issue of uh, the carbon dioxide pipelines and eminent domain, what issues might appeal to rural Iowans that would help encourage more support for Democratic candidates? Reduction in their pharmaceutical costs, reduction in their health care costs, improvement in our public schools, uh, improving labor rights, improve, focusing on the middle class and, again, like land for, for, for rural owners particularly, but we have got to focus on reconnecting with the middle class and working class individuals and showing that we are the party that is for them and showing them as well that when they vote Republican, they are voting against their own self-interest. Josh, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, so we've been talking with Josh uh, Turek. He's a state representative, newly elected from Council Bluffs in western Iowa. Uh, again, this is Ed Fallon, and we got to take a short break. And when we come back, uh, Dr. Charles Goldman is going to join me, and we're going to be discussing the further potential fallout from the multiple court rulings on abortion. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, folks, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, the niche that we provide here is more important than ever. So please support what we do. You know, if you can, donate. If you can, even better, become a monthly sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. 
The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. All right, so Charles Goldman's in the studio with me. Charles, how the heck are you? Pretty good, Ed, thanks. Good, good, Beautiful good. day out. Well, it is, it is today, yes. That follows the night where it hit 35 and we had snow. <laughs> but anyway, right. welcome to the Midwest, right? Hey, so um, uh, we gotta, we're going to talk about abortion here. And mm-hmm. um, the uh, abortion drug, uh, uh, mifepristone, I think I'm saying it correctly. Mifepristone. Yeah. Yeah. That... Um, that that kind of that drug kind of had a little bit of a roller coaster ride last week with a judge in Texas saying, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, nobody can use it." Uh, with a judge in Washington State saying, "No, it's okay. Yeah, we're going to uphold the FDA mm-hmm. ruling that it's safe and let it go forward." And so now the whole world is kind of at a standstill, waiting for inevitable, I think, Supreme Court action. Well, it, yeah, the the DOJ has already gone directly to them, right, to uh, rule on this and. I guess the prelude to that will be the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is supposed to, on Wednesday, um, the full court is supposed to weigh in on uh, Kaczmarek's decision, the El Paso. That's the Texas, Texas He's judge. the El Paso Circuit, the only El Paso Circuit judge, and that's exactly why the case was brought to him, because they knew exactly how he was going to rule. Yeah. So you, if you're listening to this program after Wednesday, some of what we're saying might be uh, outdated, but... Uh, I think still very relevant because if I mean if the Supreme what, what, what do you, let me ask you this what do you think the Supreme Court is likely to do? Well, I, I think there's multiple interesting elements of this, you know, and of course the mainstream media kind of hammered on the same thing over and over again about the loss of the use of this drug for um, part of the two drug regimen for medication abortions. But the first thing that was very intriguing was that the judge. The, the judge's decision is so reprehensible and so legally dubious that, as somebody said, it could have been basically cut and pasted from an anti-abortion uh, pamphlet. His, his reasoning, this was, first of all, the, the people who brought this case have zero standing. And who, who brought the case? This group of, of uh, anti-abortion physicians, why basically. Do, why do they not have standards? Because you have to prove harm. How are they harmed by this? Well, they're, they're, they're going to argue that it's because life is taken. They, again, they believe that life begins at conception, probably. Because life is taken, we are all harmed. That's, that's, I presume that's their argument. Right. That, well, that doesn't usually play very well as an actual standing in a court case. But well, it depends, yes, it depends is, on the judge. It is the new, uh-huh. Right. This is the new era. <laughs> Um, the second part, of course, was that actually any sort of um, activity uh, appeal against an FDA decision to bring a drug, um, you know, for an FDA approval has to be brought within six years. Well, the drug was ap- approved 20 years ago. Um, but its use has become more common. No. What no? he claimed was that when they changed the, um, the rules for its use, i.e. Uh, taking it out from six to ten weeks and also allowing mail-order distribution— that that was essentially a reapproval. Therefore, the, the clock started ticking in 2016. That's what the that's what the that's what This okay. is what he ruled. Yeah. Um, and his his terminology was again right out of the anti-abortion movement. It, it was it was baldly clear where he was coming from. Um, you know, there you go bashing baldness again. <laughs> the you know there there are a myriad of problems here. First of all, the drug is not just used for medication abortion. It has uses. Because it, it's used in people with Cushing's, which is an excess adrenal function, 
because it, it, it suppresses cortisol activity. And um, it is now being investigated for various cancers. So um, taking it out of saying that a judge can determine whether this drug should still be approved um, is, is ludicrous and harms people, harms well, other people. It, it, it would seem like a simple ruling in any, uh, any in normal times, but well, we it, don't live in normal but times it's anymore. But inter- it's interesting. That it made for strange bedfellows because, you, you know, you had the uh, 400 top pharmaceutical CEOs came out and said, this is a travesty because, you know, the way the business is run is we run approvals through the FDA. We're not going to run approvals for drugs through judges. They so, don't have any expertise. What is his definition of safety? This was, this, this was what they said. This is right out of actually Roe v. Wade. His argument was that women who have abortions have mental health issues after having abortions, that there were suicides, that there was... Uh, by the way, after delivering children, women kill those children sometimes, have severe depression, right? Also have mental health issues. That would not in any way be a consideration. But that's yeah. actually the same argument they made in Roe v. Wade which was that the, the harm at, in Roe v. Wade was not necessarily the death of the unborn child, who, by the way, uh, Judge Kaczmarek referred to fetus as unscientific, but unborn child is scientific. Um, <laughs> this, this is what he said in the decision. Um, in Roe v. Wade, the, the anti-abortion uh, side of that case argued the same thing, which is that they were doing this not to protect the unborn, they were doing this to protect the women from the harm of abortion. Hmm. Same argument, 1972, 1973, it's 2023, we're hearing the same argument. Hmm. I mean, this literally, as they said, it was like copy and paste it. Okay, 400 pharmaceutical executives. Yeah, it's kind of right. a weird position to be on the same side as right. 400 pharmaceutical The executives. Wall Street Journal. And that. <laughs> right, came out and said this This was, a, and they were the ones who enumerated the legal issues. But... One thing that, that was very interesting was Kaczmarek brought up the Comstock Act. Yeah, tell it, the Comstock Act goes way back, uh, I mean, what, 1800s, I think? Yeah, it was passed in 1873, and I, <laughs> I had to go and, and kind of do a little, you know, internet trolling here, or I should say research. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a doctor. We're going to call it research. <laughs> We're going to call it research. Um, if you get on my Facebook page and you start making a lot of dumb remarks, that's trolling. <laughs> that's right. So Comstock was the usual sanctimonious blowhard, you know, who, who was going to wipe out vice, uh, which at the time, uh, his definition of vice was um, abortion, venereal disease, uh, any material out there that would have uh, promoted birth control, and any material that was sent through the mails that would have promoted prevention of venereal disease. Not alcohol, cigarettes, and gambling? No, this was, this wow. was very much you know, his thing. He needed, he needed a shrink. So he was able to get the, um, the Congress at the time to pass this act, which made it illegal to use the mails to distribute, and this is a quote from the act, any article, instrument, substance, drug, medicine, or thing calculated to producing abortion, and then going back to the same thing about Venereal disease. And that passed Congress? Yes. Okay. Okay. And this is, well, it's 1870. It could probably pass Congress today if the Republicans were in charge. It could certainly pass the House of Representatives. Yeah. Um, so, so did it get repealed at some point? It never has been repealed. But it was just reinterpreted so that it, it, it basically was, didn't stand. It was reinterpreted to, in the 1930s, it was reinterpreted as 
the prohibition is only against acts that are illegal. So essentially, you could argue that until Roe v. Wade, the Comstock Act was still, you, you it's still attributable because it was illegal um, until a number of states changed right before Roe Ro v. Wade to allowing abortion, Colorado being the first. And then, of course, Roe v. Wade made it legal federally. Not it, not with federal dollars, but it made it legal throughout the country. And so the argument that they're making is that because now Dobbs overturned that, that essentially the Comstock Act is, is back in force. And the problem is not yeah. just about the pills, because that could be interpreted to mean the mailing. And this is also, there's a separate part of it that it, it applies to express delivery services like FedEx and UPS. You could argue that the sending the instruments that allow for surgical abortions would also be made illegal under the Comstock Act. So you couldn't mail them? You couldn't, yeah. You, essentially, you would have, ha, to, have to hand them. to deliver them, but you could not mail them and you could not use express services. Wow. Okay, so do you, is, is there serious discussion in the Republican House about uh, resurrecting this conversation? Well, that's an interesting thing. You'll notice the Republicans have been awful silent about this decision oh, yeah. because yeah. they have learned that if they're going to lose in 2024, it's going to be, one, Trump running, and two, um, abortion. Because they see, they see the handwriting on the wall. You know, it's the same thing here in Iowa. Why did the Republicans stop pushing the amendment? Right? Because they know the public would vote it down. That's correct. Yeah. And if, if the Supreme Court like here— Like they did in Kansas and uh, Montana, I think, and there was one other state. I can't remember which Well, one. South Dakota South also Dakota, wouldn't yeah. add it. I mean, places you wouldn't expect. Right. And, you know, and, and that's why we're now in this thing here in Iowa where they're, they're relitigating that six-week ban law and why they want the judges to do their dirty work for mm -hmm. them because they don't really want to bring the issue. Even with there being a, a probably here a, a larger amount of support— to banning abortion, it's still not the majority of people. Not in even Iowa. close. No. No. Yeah. no. So, so again, back to my question of what the U.S. Supreme Court is likely to do, given this uh, split ruling over uh, Muffa Price Stone. I, I suspect that they'll probably go the route that um, they went with the Fifth Circuit, and they'll say they'll put it back to where it used to be. With the Fifth Circuit, that's right, which Texas. is right, which is to put it back to two thousand sixteen. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I think I think would. Well, the Fifth Circuit, yeah, covers Texas. So, I mean, logically, given the makeup of the court and the super conser super majority conservative presence on it, you would be surprised if they didn't rule along the lines of the Texas judge. No, I. I but, I, but, but, again, given the political reality, we, we all know that the Supreme Court is influenced by politics, and like you said earlier. This is bad politics for Republicans. It is bad politics. And the other thing is any ruling that implies that there is a judicial uh, revocation of regulatory approvals, such as the FDA, would be a disaster. And even they know that, as much as they hate regulation. And, you know, they're also hearing from their, their corporate masters because when 400 pharmaceutical CEOs mm -hmm. are out there saying, um, this would destroy their industry. Yeah, how much pharmaceutical money goes into campaigns? I mean, way too much, but it's probably a, a heck of a lot of money. Yes. Probably enough to be, probably enough to wake up the politician that is primarily concerned about his or her bank account. Well, you know, 
the, the funny thing is, is that if, if Republicans are so pro-business, businesses like predictability, right? Like the argument, the argument about the, um, you know, EV proportion of cars, the argument about the changing of the emission standards. Mm -hmm. After a while, the car company said, enough already. We just want to know because we don't want to build two different cars. Right. Right, right. Ones we can sell in California and the states that go along with the California compact or, you know, we just want to build one car. So again, just to, just to wrap this up, the U.S. Yep. Supreme Court is likely, and maybe even by the time some people are hearing this program, likely to rule in favor of the 5th District and to go along with the No, text. no, the Supreme Court is not going to rule that quickly. Okay. They're going to rule on the DOJ's request, which is, is to, you know, uh, put a, a permanent stay on this. And then they can litigate it at, in the future, you know. But well, uh, and actually, that might be in the interest of um, the Republican Party. Yes, because they'd like <laughs> to. The, they'd I mean, like there's, there's, there's an element of the base that wants to see this resolved immediately, and they want to see they want to see that drug outlawed permanently. They probably want to see the Comstock Act come back. Well, look, and, and full, I think full, full, full that's effect. the other thing people should understand. Read about the 1870s and what happened after the 1870s. You know, when, when we started to have the kind of exploitative capitalism of, you know. I mean, I thought it started like around. A little bit later. Like in 1492. No, well, that may well be. But, you know, the robber barons, this, there's a real repeat going on here. If you go in and read about Comstock, you're saying, hey, this, he could be doing this now, mm. right? The same Puritanism, yeah. the same thing about censorship. He censored Margaret Sanger from talking about birth control. Three women. How do you get away with that? I mean, he, he arrested. Uh, no, no, my point is, how do you get Margaret Sanger to shut up? Yeah. <laughs> There's a famous picture of her wearing a, like a, a mask as a gag, you know, from the 1900s. Yeah. But this is where we, we are really repeating history in many ways. And the history of today is very much the history from the 1870s into the, you know, 1930s. Well, the favorable part about that is the uh, not too long after the 1870s, uh, came the 1890s in which we had the progressive populist movement, which accomplished some great things. And, and that's and, it's and interesting you, you say that. Are we, are we heading that way where there's going to be a backlash against this insanity and we're going to see some really good, solid reforms that might actually hold? I, I think that when you're in the middle of it, it seems like that would be impossible. Right. But I think if you do start seeing the similarities, that they are pushing people to the point enough's enough. And, and, mm -hmm. and of course, the reaction against the Comstock Act was... Who did he hate the most? Who did he, he go after the most? The suffragettes. Who were the suffragettes? They were women who were saying, we want power, right? It's not that much different today, than today. Yeah. And I've said this multiple times on, on this show, which is the abortion issue, more than anything else, is about control. And it's about yeah. control of women. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, again, to wrap this up, the Supreme Court is ruling on the DOJ request. Request to just stay this because they've got competing decisions from federal judges, and they need to and stop they, the confusion. I know, my, my guess is they'll go along with that. I think they will, and right. then they'll kind of let this simmer for a while before they figure out what they're going to do with it. Right, and that, that, that benefits the pharmaceutical companies, uh, the DOJ, a little bit of a victory. It benefits the core of the Republican Party that don't want to lose power, mm -hmm. but the people who will be upset about it are the anti-abortion crowd. That's correct. Yeah, interesting. But I think um, in this case, you're probably right. Well, I, I guess we're both right because we both said the same thing. Well, maybe they'll give everybody <laughs> on the anti-abortion side a free trip with Clarence Thomas's buddy. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Harlan Crow. Harlan Crow. <laughs> <laughs> the most... <laughs> what? <laughs> what? 
Anyway, we could we could do a whole conversation. <laughs> We're not going to talk about Harlan Crow. That's not hey, Harlan Charles, we're going to take a short break. Again, Ed Fallon with Dr. Charles Goldman here in the studio this week. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about Bitcoin mining. It's a huge environmental problem. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online, and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to all of our sponsors, including Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. All right, welcome back to the program. Charles Goldman with me in the studio. We're going to talk about something that I know almost nothing about. Because that's what talk show hosts do, right? They talk about things they know nothing about. Well, at least you and I didn't invest in something we knew nothing about. You know. How do you know I didn't invest in Bitcoin? I just don't see it as your thing. I mean. Oh. No, my thing is the tree out in the backyard where we bury our money. <laughs> I'm just not telling you all which tree. <laughs> yeah. So Bitcoin. Or which, um, or actually, you're having one of your chickens eat your money. And then that way. Well, you know, it's funny you say this. Somebody came and dumped a whole bunch of leaves in our chicken coop. And we, we you try to tell people, don't dump trash. And make sure there's no trash in there. And there was trash in there. I was kind of like ticked off. Mm -hmm. Until as I start, you know, you know, raking through the, uh, well, the chickens start scratching up. And I start finding bits and pieces of a dollar bill and finding bits and pieces more. And finally, I, I have enough to put the whole bill together and take it down to the bank and get a new one. <laughs> anyway, so hey. Really? So there, thanks to the chickens for that. I guess but that's I digress. better than taking a shopping cart and collecting cans. Yeah, I digress very badly. Anyway, Bitcoin. First of all, before we talk about the environmental problems of Bitcoin mining, let's just, Charles, give us your definition, your understanding of what is Bitcoin. So my understanding of Bitcoin is that it was, it, well, first of all, Bitcoin is just one cryptocurrency. It's just the most popular. And all of them are based to some degree on the same premise. It was an attempt to set up a monetary system that is outside of the traditional channels um, and not and, and allowing you to make transactions that were uh, hidden in some way and have the freedom hidden to do Hidden from the IRS? Well, from taxation. Right. And, uh, so is that, is that even legal? 
I mean, the IRS yeah, well, wants it's to tax clearly legal. Any... It's it, well, it's clearly legal. You're, I'm sure you're supposed to report these transactions. But it's easier to hide them. It is, yes. Yeah. Right, and because so the the part that is is a little unclear to me is what's called crypto mining. Okay, so this sounds like something all, from the video all game. Of the, all of the cryptocurrencies use some form of mining, and basically this involves increasingly high-powered computer arrays that are trying to solve a numeri- some numerical equation that's worth, um, I think, 6.75 crypto units. units right. And crypto so, pennies. Right. So, so you're competing with other crypto miners to be the first one to um, solve this equation. Why, why does this not sound like, this sounds exactly like a video game to me. Well, there is a game aspect to it, yeah. and and the each the difference between the various forms of cryptocurrency are predominantly the algorithm they use to make the solving easier or harder, and of course, the harder the solving of the equation is, the more energy is required to mine that unit of crypto. So, for instance, Ethereum is the most second most popular form of cryptocurrency. Okay. It changed its algorithm so that it was able to reduce the cost of the um, solving of the equation um, 99% versus crypto. Crypto, on the other hand, has uh, has not, or, or Bitcoin is, is, is the crypto we're talking about, Bitcoin, um, is not changing their algorithm because they're more concerned about security of the... Um, so the the because these things don't exist. So, they so only exist in, in the blockchain. So, I mean, there there are other I, I, there's tech down in Fairfield, Iowa. Right, people have created their own money system. Yeah, and, and this has happened in other parts of the country, in parts of the world. People have got their own system of exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, we use heirloom seeds and eggs. That's our primary currency. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, because you're you're part of the Jeffersonian barter system. I, that is. Thomas Jefferson, what a guy! What a guy! <laughs> I just wish he can go back and see the Democratic Party you're, today. You're, yeah, you're he a, would not be impressed. You're you're a true constitutionalist. Thank you. Thank because you. Because that's what, what you know. That's what the system was meant to be. Right. Yeah. Barter but I, and slavery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you're implying that I'm only inclined to one of those. That's two. correct. All right. Good. That. Thank you. Thank you. Otherwise, I, I just throw off the show right now. <laughs> okay, so um, the uh, you know it's not unusual for different types of currencies to be used. I mean, barter being one of them, but it's very unusual for one to have any kind of success and attract any kind of real following. This you know cryptocurrency movement sounds like it attracted. It's sexy. I mean, it's just what you're saying. It's kind of like game playing. It's it's it has a, it's a very sexy thing. It's it's kind, it's not truly a pyramid scheme. But you can see what happens, which is that you don't know where your pyramid or Ponzi. Well, you don't you don't know where your assets are, and there's two risks here. One is to the people who are the owners of crypto, which is that you wake up one morning and everything's gone. Yeah, or and you get discovered as one of those uh, owners, and then you end up in jail. Right. Well, the, the the people who benefit most from cryptocurrencies are the owners of the various exchanges. Sure. Yeah. Not surprising. So. And the second people who get hurt are people who are paying for electric electricity in states where there are crypto mines. Because uh, the, it'll, <laughs> it'll, it'll, dri- it'll drive the rates it up. It drives the rates up. Wait, what do you mean? And, of what course, mean, the environment. What do you mean in states where there are crypto mines? I mean, a crypto mine exists where there's a, an internet connection, right? 
Well, it used to be that actually in the early days of crypto, you could do it with a personal computer, but the, the power of, calc of, of these algorithms requires huge banks of, of heat-producing and electricity-guzzling computers. And crypto mines are just a bunch of buildings filled with these computers. And they're, they, they, they're, they exist. There are these buildings out oh, there. Oh, yeah, are... there's like 34 of them all around the United States. And I don't know, I, I, I think you, you, you know, sent me some information about, you know, the, the history of the crypto mines where a lot of them were in China mm -hmm. until June 2021, and China kicked them out because they were taking up too, mo too much electricity that they wanted to use for other things. Uh -huh. And then they, didn't, they I'm moved to- I'm surprised China didn't just build another coal-fired <laughs> coal power plant. Well, the two favorite destinations after that were Iraq- I was gonna say Saudi Arabia. And, and Kazakhstan. Oh, Kazakhstan. And okay. both of them regulated them out of existence. Really? And then all of a sudden, well, there, all the, the computers got shipped to the United the, States. The, 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 the third world country that will take anyone that no one else will take, the U.S. of the A. The U.S., right? right. And so okay. Texas is, 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 is right now is the uh, crypto leader, as their governor likes to say. But there are some huge facilities all throughout the country. There's a big one, uh, reasonably big one, I think, in Kearney, Nebraska. Um, that's the closest one here. There's one in Illinois. I'm not sure exactly what so, it is. So uh, didn't crypto take a big hit? Well, I, I'm forgetting, forgetting the guy's la his last name's hyphenated. The guy who was uh, busted. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm blanking his name, uh, right? Because Friedman, something like that. Yeah. Right. Anyway, he. Um, I, I thought that meant the beginning of the end of crypto, but no, no. I guess no. no, no. Darn. But the 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 thing here, of course, is that. The 34 largest crypto mines in the United States required electricity that could be used to power all of New York City's homes. Really? All of New York City, period. Wow. Right. Okay. And the question is, where's that electricity coming from? Well, coal, nuclear, wind, or solar, and, probably. It, yeah, and it's interesting because what they do is they put up like a, a solar arc array mm -hmm. to try to say, well, we're using renewables. But it turns out at least 90% of what they're using is either generated from coal or gas. Well, yeah. In fact, there was a great story about a couple of coal-fired plants that reopened. That, that I think South Dakota attracted one of these crypto mines by reopening a coal-fired plant right next to where they put the crypto mine. Yeah. So, yeah. Is there any attempt by our fearless leaders in Congress to regulate this stuff? <laughs> well, I think the problem is... Nobody understands what it is. It's yeah. like everybody else's so, so problem. So I've, I've got plenty of company. <laughs> That's right. I well, mean, well, maybe we should send you to Congress. Well, I'm not sure. I, I'm telling you, I don't totally understand what it is. I, I just understand this. That's this is how they. This is how you accumulate crypto. You know how you interface with your customers when you're basically playing a game to get more crypto. You know, on your your exchange. Yeah. I, I you know, it's 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 not like stocks. I mean. Yeah. When you so go into a market, a you know you know how much stock exists. It's a different kind of gambling. It is, of course, it's just gambling, and, yeah. and that's why it was ludicrous. And and to have mainline financial institutions offering people with their, to invest in crypto in their, with their retirement funds, yeah. I mean that you know that's just that's wrong. Not, that's not even something Congress should weigh in on. Or maybe maybe there's even a role for state legislatures to say, hey, maybe this is not the best thing for. A our, our, our well, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that's going to come up in our state legislature because they're still trying to figure out where we can take guns in our cars. Well, and which you know, bathrooms uh, and which bathroom trans kids yeah. can go to. Yeah. But, you know, for instance, in Texas, not only do they have this, they have this deal in Texas 
where, you know, as we know, under stress, the Texas uh, electrical network is a little bit uh, problematic. One problem is it doesn't attach to any other electric network. It's, it's totally autonomous. Mm. And so they pay the crypto mines to turn off their electricity um, in case that, that, you know, the amount of power that they're normally going to use is needed to keep the system from collapsing. But the interesting thing is they've only been asked to do that a couple of times. Mm. And during that time, they get a premium. But every day they're paid just for participating. In other words, just telling the, the power grid, whoever runs the power grid, I forget what the entity is, um, that they will be willing to turn off their crypto mine. They get paid every day hundreds of thousands of dollars. All right. So speaking of money. Right. The petrodollar, a.k.a. the dollar, uh, in big trouble. And uh, I, I would be surprised if um, there wouldn't be a conversation about this at the uh, at federal. I'm sure these conversations are happening, you know, maybe maybe entirely behind closed doors. But mm-hmm. but the uh, the U.S. dollar is no longer what it once was. And uh, and you've got comp- countries now, um, big countries, China, India, I think. Um, where else? Russia, maybe? Of course, Russia. Brazil. Mm-hmm. Moving beyond using the U.S. dollar as the basis for... Uh, for um, for assessing you know for trading uh, trading oil, well and and do people understand why that's the case? Well, because the dollar is weak and the government is uh, is um, unstable. <laughs> because like like it was said earlier, we we never know what's going to happen in an industry. Uh, one one year it could be uh, subject to well, like the example you gave about cars, right? Right. You know, we, we could see a, direct, a, a, a market that's being directed in, toward more renewables, and suddenly, boom, there is a whole change. Well, yeah, and I think this, this, is, this is an interesting thing to talk about because I don't think the American people understand how we got away for so long with the low interest rates that juice the economy and the advantage of being the reserve currency for the whole world, which, as you point out, is based primarily on the belief in the stability right. of the American dollar, and that's weakening. And it's weakening, it's weakening because among- of the because of the political disc- discord in this right. country, and the move to get out of you know the America First movement is great. <laughs> if really? it's well, no, <laughs> but unfortunately, we are in a globalized world, and and the, you know what the Republicans have been able to do is to make globalism a, a, a terrible word, um, and of course associating it with the you know, best instincts in, in our country, like anti-Semitism. <laughs> and, um, but not understanding that the way, the reason interest rates were cheap in the United States, which juiced the housing market and juiced the economy, was because, the, in part, because we are the reserve currency. But as we are destabilizing the financial system, like talking about the debt ceiling again and yeah. again and again, people are done. Yeah. And that is going to leave interest rates higher. It's not just going to be inflation. It's also going to be the fact that, as you point out, if we are not the reserve currency for the majority of the major European economic powers, it's going to harm us. In that and way. it's going to probably move to China. Yeah. Anyway. Presumably. Yeah, I, I think so. Hey, Charles, thanks for joining us today and sharing your wisdom. And speculation. 
Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll have to talk more about some of this stuff. Uh, Got to run to a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about ketchup on our farm and food segment. Ketchup and, wait for it, the Boston Red Sox. Apparently there's a new Boston Rebellion, and it centers around sugar-free ketchup. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Hey, we're back at it here, folks, on the Fallon Forum. You can support this alternative to the Shock Jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. All right, so... <laughs> This is the week of the Boston Marathon, and um, there's a bit of a rebellion happening in Boston, and it's over ketchup. And Kathy Burns joins me to talk about the seriousness of this matter. They're not throwing ketchup into the Boston Harbor? No, okay. but they right. could be, apparently. They don't <laughs> like what's happening, the, the uh, sugar-free ketchup. Well, they being the patrons of Fenway Park. And probably just some of them. Some of them. Yeah. Some of them are Maybe in a lot uproar. of them. Because uh, the, the, the park is now using a startup company named True Made Foods to, uh, to, to make their food things. And the owner of that has little kids, and he got to be really uh, irritated at how much sugar was in ketchup. He calls it uh, red sugar. And he created a, a, a recipe where instead of a lot of sugar, he sweetens it with things like carrots and butternut squash. So now, the fans don't like it. Now you, you, we make ketchup. Or rather, rather, you make ketchup. I use a lot of sugar <laughs> ketchup. It, it's part of ketchup. If yeah. you don't put tons and tons so of ketchup on, you're fine. We haven't sampled this ketchup, but apparently uh, a lot of people don't like it. I, I mean, some of the comments, uh, one, uh, here's a tweet. Fenway, you need to change your ketchup. It's gross. Bringing my own ketchup packets to the game so I can eat a hot dog and enjoy it. <laughs> um, well, then the the foods people got involved in that too, and the the true made foods, and they let the people who were upset know that they can't offer the regular ketchup and their new ketchup because the Some the policy, MLB yeah. only allows yeah. one type one condiment. I think it's so people don't sit around and make selections and take take turns in the line. I don't know why. Long. Yeah, it may, it may be a financial consideration, but. Yeah, I mean, here's, here's, a, here's a really delicious tweet. 
if I'm ordering a hot dog and french fries at the ballpark, I'm not looking for the healthy condiment choice. <laughs> well, mean, all, all that said, I commend the idea of trying to make it a less unhealthy product. I, I do too. But if people really want authentic ketchup, they need to have it have neither tomatoes nor sugar because oh, really? originally ketchup it, uh, there was there were uh, two kinds of a, a fish or brined shellfish sauce that when really? European explorers were or traders were uh, in in the oh, wait, east. So ketchup was originally made from fish. Well, th- there was there were products in coming out of both China and Indonesia called oh. something that sounds very much like ketchup. I mean, if you said the word, it would sound like ketchup. So when did tomatoes find their way into the well, mix? Well, the, the, the explorer, the, the traders brought these these spices back, or these spicy fish sauces back, and that was being made for a long time, and people liked it. Um, there was also, they, they might have had some fruit right. in them also to sweeten them. And the, um, the, the tomatoes didn't enter into it until tomatoes started to be seen as being okay to eat, they they were they used to be thought as dangerous because, because they are they're a nightshade. nightshade but yeah, all sure. you have to do is just eat the fruit. Don't eat the leaves. But uh, <laughs> in the late 1700s and early 1800s, the farmers you know started to say, hey, you can eat these tomatoes. And in 1812, a Philadelphia scientist created a recipe using what he called love apples. <laughs> tomatoes were then thought to be aphrodisiac, even. <laughs> and uh, they put the tomatoes in, and then also uh, in the late 17 1800s. The, uh, the, the fruit recipe had to be kind of worked out because a company called Heinz yeah, wanted to market it and have it have an ev- even longer shelf life. So that's where the sugar came in? So they had ah. to use sugar instead okay. of the fruit to sweeten it. And then they added vinegar to the recipe to give it that stability and make it last longer in the bottle. So what do you think they should do at Fenway? Um, at Fenway? Yeah. Uh, I, I think people should just have the regular ketchup, frankly. I think the company that makes the sugar-free ketchup could make um, a, a half-sugar ketchup or something. I don't know. They, I think when you're having a hot dog, I agree. You need ketchup that is something you <laughs> think of when you go to the ballpark. Right. You don't need. What do you think they should do? Well, I I, I think they should uh, find a way to change that contract so they can provide all, you know op- options. That's a good idea. Op- option. But some of these, um, I mean, this guy... <laughs> He's the uh, trade trade uh, true made food response. This one I love. Families should be able to go and enjoy a ball game without quote poisoning themselves with high fructose corn syrup. They're not gonna We're not replacing much. hot dogs with broccoli. We're providing a way to keep the whole experience without the poison. I it's a bit over the top. Mm. <laughs> bit over the top. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, Kathy, thanks for joining me, mm-hmm. folks. Uh, thanks to our guest today, Representative Josh Turek. And to our production team of Sherry, the Vampire Slayer, Herdina, Forrest, not Gump, Detterman, Dr. Charles, Mr. Empathy, Goldman, Kathy, Madam Ketchup, Burns, and myself, Ed, the recovering politician, Fallon. And thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake, Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bull, Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Also, thanks to our bumper music providers, Des Moines Irish Session. Back next week, folks, with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.